we all have things that that concern our hearts and we can put on our Sunday morning smiles and tell the world that everything is all right but we're only fooling ourselves we're not fooling God and we're probably not fooling each other but he is a good good father Jim and uh, this is a great song to tell us what to do with those concerns I want to talk this morning, still in First Peter, and you know, this has been a really great study as far as Peter's relevance to us today. And we're going to be in, first, in chapter 5 again, and we're going to be talking about 
the subtleness of sin, the dangerous subtleness of sin, because sin comes subtly in our life most of the time. Yeah. If we listen to what Peter has to say to us today, we're going to hear a really uh, a message that can help us significantly in how we deal with everyday life. We all know that the devil was defeated, correct? Yeah. yeah. He was defeated on the cross. When Jesus died and rose from the dead, he, went, he descended into the bowels of the earth and he took back the keys that man had given Satan so many years ago. And God, through Jesus, defeated him. They are not equals. Don't ever think that God and Satan are equals. Satan is nothing more than a created being. being. All, he's pretty powerful, but he's created. He's not equal to God, never will be equal to God, and he was defeated. With that in mind, however, we must recognize that Satan is still alive today. He's still active in the lives of people, and he will do and can do lots of things to try to defeat us today, to bring us lots of discouragement, to bring lots of deception, and he's doing everything he can to destroy us. Even though his fate is sealed, he is trying to take as many of us with him as he can to his sealed fate. We must understand the fact. We must understand how prevalent and how serious it is. We have an adversary. And I know many people don't like to talk about it. They think, well, you're giving too much glory to Satan. No, I'm not doing this to give glory to Satan. We're doing this just to be wise and to, and to know who our adversary is. Because the Bible tells us to do this. In fact, our text this morning is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. And it says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Let's pray. Father, would you just give us your insights this morning on this passage? Lord, even though that we know that you destroyed and you devoured the enemy so many years ago, that he is still alive today. His fate is sealed, but yet he's still active today, working and roaming the world, trying to bring as many people into his same fate as he can. So would you help us, Lord? Would you just give us your wisdom, give us your clarity of thought, give us your insights today on how we deal with this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we examine this text today and go a little deeper, we're going to see that we are to be vigilant against the enemy. We're to be alert, to be of sober mind, because obviously he's very cunning. He is a roaring lion, and he is trying to bring destruction into everyone's life that he can. That's what his sole purpose is. His purpose is not to be your friend. He's not to be um, a, uh, a drinking buddy. He's not to be a pen pal. You know, he has nothing good to do in your life but to destroy us. And we must recognize the significance of that. But even though he is a roaring lion, he doesn't always come that way. If, if, if he always came as a roaring lion, it would be much easier for us to defeat him. If we could hear his roar before we got to that corner of temptation, we would know that when we get around that corner, there's going to be an enemy there that's going to destroy us. If we could hear him roaring before he even got there, what would we probably do? Run. We probably wouldn't face that roaring lion if we knew he was there. 
But many times he doesn't come that way. In fact, the Bible says he masquerades as an angel of light. He comes to us in many simple things, subtle things, not as a roaring lion, but as an angel of light, and he brings much deception in people's lives that way. So we need to recognize that temptation and sin doesn't always appear as obvious as it is when it first comes. It comes subtly, but yet it has the same destructive result. Even though it may come in small doses, sin in itself will destroy. That's why Peter is telling us to be alert and to be sober. Peter understands the wiles of the enemy. And as we study this today, I pray that we will have a better understanding of his tactics. Why does Peter say be alert and of sober mind if there's not something to be alert and sober-minded over? There must be a purpose here. Recognize, number one, sin is all-encompassing. Sin covers many aspects of our lives. It's not the type of sin, necessarily, that's really important in our downfall. It's the fact that sin is there at all. We have a tendency to compartmentalize sin. We have a tendency to say, for some odd reason, this sin will kill you and this sin won't. <laughs> but sin is sin. Uh, we, we say it like God is tolerant over some sins, but he's not tolerant over other sins. Now, when I thought about that, the observation came to me that probably, if that's really the case, if that's the way we look at sin sometimes, probably then the sin that I'm dealing with is probably one of those sins God will be tolerant over. But the sin that you're dealing with isn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? We have a tendency to be narcissistic. We have a tendency to think the rules are for somebody else. We have a tendency to think that, well, God's really going to judge that person for that thing, but, you know, he's going to kind of let me off on my thing. Well, that's not biblical, by the way. Just you know that God is not favorite. He does not play favorites. And sin is sin, whether it's in your life or my life. It doesn't make any difference, and it doesn't even make a difference what kind of sin it is. It doesn't make a difference if it's alcoholism or sexual addiction or lying or gossiping or just being having bitterness in my heart. It's all sin. And God sees it all the same, doesn't he? So we can't compartmentalize and, and we can't look at it that way to think that, that sin affects other people differently than it affects me. No, sin affects me just like it affects you and it affects you just like it affects other people. So let's just recognize that sin is sin and that we can't uh, allow it to have a level of relevance in our life. That's really important to have that. We need to go back to the beginning to see some things, how sin comes in and the subtleness of sin. So turn in your Bible with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to read verse 4, and then 7 and 9, 7 through 9. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Verse 7, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now it's interesting here that God made all kinds of trees. There was a wide variety of trees that God created throughout the whole garden. 
But yet he made two different kinds of trees and he set it in the middle of the garden for two distinct purposes. One tree is the tree of life, eternal life. And the other tree was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Both of them have fruit. And by the appearance, both of them were probably similar in fruit because it doesn't really indicate that one was different as far as the fruit, but the trees were different. That's a big deal. We're going to talk about the fruit in a minute, but that's a big deal to recognize that the fruit on both trees, in fact, the, tr the fruit on all the trees was very good in appearance and was pleasant to eat. At this time, remember, things are perfect. Sin is not yet in the picture. Yet, God is setting the stage for mankind to come on that would have a choice that would prove our love back to God through the fact of our choices. He's setting the stage here. God gave the mankind, mankind the ability to make choices, moral choices, for the purpose of proving our love. It's interesting to think of it that way. But my choice proves how I love my family. My choices prove how I function at my job. My choices prove how well I pastor the church. My, my choices prove a lot of things. Choices are huge when it comes to proving if I really am who I say I am. Talk is cheap. We've heard the terminology. I can say lots of things, but through my actions, through my choices, you really see who I am. And God is setting the stage here for mankind to be able to make the choice to prove do they really love him or not? Because it's only through a choice do we really know a lot about ourselves. We can see here why Satan is going to get involved. Because sin is not in the equation. The struggle here is being set up that we are all going to be faced with, and that is that do I follow God's directions? Do I follow his commands to eat or not eat? We are given to commands. You know, God is clearly a command-giving God. Let me ask you the question. Does that make you feel uneasy, the fact that God gives us commands? I think it does sometimes. We talked a little bit about it in Sunday school today. The commands that God gives us are for our good. Just so you know that. He never gives us a command that would hurt you. All of the commands that God gives are for our good. And, the, and, and by our choice to obey his commands or not are the things that prove our love for him. The book of John tells us in three different places. John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my, what? Commands. If you love me, keep my commands. John 14, 21, Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. John 14, 23 through 24, Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. 
pretty clear instruction that God expects us to keep his commands as proof of our love for him. He gives us commands. A loving God gives us loving commands. And now as a loving person, we are to keep his commands. Our commitment to obedience to the words of God is our proof to him that we do love him and that we choose to keep him at the center point of our life. And we choose to keep him over anything the world offers. It's really a simple test of our love. We really don't need to make it very difficult. It's pretty simple. Simple obedience means I read God's word and I obey it. I don't twist it to meet my, my situation, to meet my moral relevance. I don't look for a passage that I can read to justify my behaviors. That's complicated. Let's not complicate our salvation and our love for the Lord. Our love for the Lord is simple. I obey. Let's continue on. Genesis 2, 15 through 17. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man. Again, there's that word command. The Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Here it is. Here's the choice. The cosmic struggle has been defined. The choice given to Adam is very simple. You can either eat from the tree in the garden and disobey, or you can eat from all the other trees in the garden and have the enjoyment of all that God has created for you without any hindrance whatsoever. Very simple. Not complicated. No hidden agendas. No formulas to figure out. God just said it's very simple. Just don't eat from this tree. So what we should do is walk away from it. And probably he did. Adam probably said, wow, all right, simple instruction. Thank you. I'll just walk away and never come back here. And he probably did. And for a while, we don't really know any of the time frame here. But for a while, Adam was probably very good with that command. He probably said, man, I've got so many other trees anyways. Why would I even want to consider that tree? And he probably just avoided it. And he probably was good. And life was grand. But the rest of the story is not so good. We know that Eve got in, when Eve came into the picture, she was deceived. It's important to know, and we'll come back to this point again, but it's important to know that the command that God gave to Adam was prior to Eve ever being formed. This was before Eve was even in the picture. Let's move on to Genesis chapter 3. This talks about the deception part. Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Verse 4, The devil said, You will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will look and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. 
So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now there's some real significant truths that we're going to uncover here as we look deeper into really what happened to see how the enemy really was able to get in as a deceptive spirit to get in and convince them in a world of perfection to disobey God. First of all, the, act, actual, the actual eating of the fruit, that forbidden fruit, wasn't anything extraordinary or special in their everyday lives. I mean, eating fruit off of a tree was something they have been doing since they were formed. They've always eaten fruit off the trees. There was nothing different here about this particular sin. It was very common for them to eat the tree, eat the fruit. So it's not eating the fruit that was, that was bad. Um, it's the fact that they ate fruit from the wrong tree that was bad. It was a very normal and simple action that if anybody been, would have been observing, if there would have been an ob observing bird <laughs> or anybody else that didn't recognize the tree they were eating from, the fact that they went up and they plucked an apple off that tree or a piece of fruit off that tree and ate it was not unusual. It was nothing special. It was just eating what they've been doing forever. That's the way sin works so many times. It's a very common thing that we do, but we do it in the wrong context or in the wrong heart. This little simple everyday act was in complete disobedience to a very simple command from God. Don't eat fruit from that tree. Hmm. It's amazing and it's sad at the same time that it's the simple things that can bring the most destruction in our lives. The simple things. As a result of this simple act of simple disobedience, guilt, shame, sin, death, all the problems we have in this world were entered in because of a simple act of disobedience. It's such a simple command. Why would Eve be tempted to do it? I mean, it's not hard. It's not complicated. It's simple. Why would she fall, Eve? Why would she fall into this, into this deception? Well, there's a couple things that we need to think about when it comes to this. Um, first of all, if she would have stayed away from the tree, then the ensuing conversation with the enemy probably never would have come. She was in the wrong neighborhood <laughs> in the first place. She probably never should have allowed herself to be even close to that tree. But something within her gave her a, a level of questioning about that particular tree in the garden. And so she went over and it was, she was probably in a bad spot that she shouldn't have been in. Little things. How many times are we doing the same little things by wandering in a bad neighborhood. Our mind shouldn't be there. We shouldn't be thinking about that particular thing. We shouldn't be entertaining that particular thought. We're too close to the temptation. We're too close to the fall. Why do we allow ourselves to get there? The devil simply had to ask the question, did God really say, did he really say you must not eat from, the, from any tree in the garden? And it's a simple question. It's not complicated, but yet it brings Eve into a conversation. He asked a simple question that was a safe conversation to have. He said, did God really say you shouldn't eat from any tree in the garden? That's a safe question. 
So she got sucked into a conversation with the enemy. She got sucked into a temptation, an area where she shouldn't have been in the first place. She probably should have said, why is this snake talking to me? And she should have run away. She shouldn't have even made, made the answer. How many times do we get sucked into conversations on Facebook? How many times do we get sucked into text messages that we've got to reply to? We've got to get our two cents in. Rather, run away from it. How many times are we allowing those little things to get in our life that would cause us the problems, that little temptation? Run away. See it for what it is. Don't even entertain it. So she had a couple problems here. Number one, she thought she could manage the conversation. So she continued the conversation with the serpent, with the snake. She thought she could manage it. We as well think we can manage our life. In our human pride, we think we can manage it. I can deal with that movie. I can deal with that drink. I can deal with that whatever that level of temptation is. I can deal with it. So we allow ourselves to start playing with some things. We allow ourselves to get down a path that maybe we shouldn't even be down in the first place. See, if Satan would have said, Eve, eat the fruit. It's going to kill you. You're going to be disobedient and you're going to get kicked out of the garden. What do you think she would have said? No. She probably would have ran away. If it would have been that obvious to her that what she was doing was that wrong, she would have run away. But that's not the way sin works. That's not the way the devil comes into our life. He comes in through a simple little, ah, it looks so good. It looks like so much fun. Everybody else is doing it. Why don't you just jump in? Why are you so weird? Why are you so afraid of things? Why don't you just come in and be part of the culture and just come in and be like everybody else? Everybody else is doing it. Look, they're fine. Look at them. They're fine. Well, how do we know they're fine? If he would come in and say, that thing that you're going to do is going to kill you, chances are you probably wouldn't do it. So number, that's number one. We think we can manage ourselves. We think we can stay in control. It's our pride. Number two, Eve answered the question and she wasn't even correct in her answer. She said, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. True, true so far, right? And then she says, and you must not touch it or you will die. Did God ever say anything about touching it? No. She added to the truth. What, what this really says is, at, is that Eve truly wasn't a student of what God had said. She truly didn't understand what God had told Adam to tell her. She was making something up on her own. How many times do we make things up on our own? We truly don't understand it, so we make something else up. We add to something or we take away from something may seem like a small point, but it's really important for us to recognize that God's truth is God's truth and God's truth alone, and we don't have the right to twist it, manage it, add to it, take away from it. We just simply learn from it and apply it. God is truth, and he's all truth. We need to run away from any compromise. Anything that would seem like a compromise of God's word then recognize it's a compromise from God's word. <laughs> it's nothing to be played, nothing to play with, nothing to touch. Leave it alone. Run away. God never said that by touching the fruit they would die. 
Only by eating the fruit brings the death penalty. Now, what can we learn from this? There's someone else can we learn. Well, the one, one thing is certain, okay, that if she wouldn't have touched it, she couldn't have eaten it. So there is some truth in that. Don't even touch it. <laughs> if she wouldn't have touched the fruit, there's no way she could have eaten it. So she touched it. Yet the touching isn't a sin. She could have touched that fruit. She could have polished it, got all the dirt off of it, got it shiny, nice and looking really, really good and looked at it and said, yeah, yeah, serpent, that is a good-looking piece of fruit. Then she could have set it down and walked away and everything is fine. There wouldn't have been any sin. Not all. But here's the problem, though. When you take something and you start looking at it and you make it look so good and you start thinking, oh, that's really not so bad, how much easier is it to take the bite? She shouldn't have touched it, even though that wasn't God's command. Sometimes we look at God's word, and may God may be not real clear on some things. He may not be real clear on alcohol, for example. But yet, we want to touch it. We want to play with it. We want to drink it. And we think we can. And all of a sudden, before you know it, it's got you. It's got you. Or it's got somebody else that's watching you drink it. Maybe you can handle it, but maybe they can't. Called a stumbling block. See, let's just see the simple things in God's Word. And let's take the simple things as truth and just obey the simple things and not play with the other minor things that could become so encompassing in our lives. If you don't handle something, you can't be hurt by it. If you don't play with sin, then sin can't win. Let me give you some examples. How does one not overdose or get addicted to illegal drugs? Don't take it the first time. Simple. How does one not get a sexually transmitted disease? Don't have sex. Don't worry about the safe sex. Just don't have sex and you'll never get a transmitted disease. How does one out of wedlock not get pregnant? Well, same answer. How does one make sure they never become an alcoholic? Don't have the first drink. How does one not get drunk and violate God's standards addressing drunkenness because the word is clear about drunkenness is a sin. Maybe the drink isn't, but the drunkenness is. So how do I avoid never being drunk? And how do I know the definition of drunkenness? Is drunkenness a buzz? Or is drunkenness when I'm falling over sloppy because I can't walk drunk? If I don't know the definition clearly, then why play with it in the first place? It's better to say, no, thank you. I don't need that in any shape or form and walk away from it. And then you will know you will never get entangled by it. And you could say, oh, Mike, you're taking all the fun out of life. I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't care if it's drinking. I don't care if it's sex. I don't care if it's drugs. I don't care if it's pornography. I don't care what it is. By me following God's commands, the simpleness of life, and be obeying that to the best that I can is not taking the fun out of life. When I can learn to say no to those things and never be tempted by them and never be fall to that temptation, I'd never deal with shame. I'd never deal with guilt. I'd never deal with lying. I'd never deal with covering it up. I'd just say, no, thank you. And you know what? i just start focusing on all the good trees that are out there. And i just run to all the good trees that God has for me, and i leave that one in the middle that is that forbidden one, and I don't even look at it anymore. i just go to all the good things that God has for me because he has so many good things for me to, to, to partake and enjoy. 
And then I can really enjoy life. I can really enjoy it now. <laughs> this is exciting stuff. How does one not get addicted to gambling? Don't buy the first lottery ticket. Don't go down the path. How does one not become a liar? Don't allow the little lies to start up. The little justifications in your life. See, sin comes in the little things and then it grows. Do you see where this is going? Satan uses the little compromises to do the most damages. He doesn't come to us very often with the big sin. He doesn't come to me if I have an issue. Oh, you, you name it. I, I'm not going to. You name the issue. If it's adultery, fornication, uh, murder, um, all the big sins, all the ones that are really out there. He doesn't come with you to say, you're not going to have that first urge to do the bad thing. You're going to have the urge to do the little thing first. Satan uses little things. So take control. That's where we're to be alert and be sober-minded that we don't allow ourselves to get into that difficult situation in the first place. Once we start to justify, once we start to justify and compromise, the battle only gets that much harder and that much tougher. So God uses, God's saying, guys, I'm just trying to give you a little advice here. He uses the little sins that will eventually enslave us and, and the, the Lord's saying, I'm just trying to keep you out of that. I'm trying, to be, I'm trying to help you stay away from that. And, and, you know, I will tell you, I'm not the first person to be concerned about this. Paul was concerned about it back in 1 Corinthians. Go back and turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. And Paul is talking to the Corinthian church. And he says, I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than a Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the ones you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. The key is that there was false teaching coming into the church in Corinthians. And the people were putting up with it. They were allowing the little, the little lies, the little deceptions, the little false teachings into the church. And Paul was saying, and you're putting up with it. Rather, stop it, run away from it, expose the false teaching, and then stay into the Jesus that we're preaching. He was concerned that they could be deceived like Eve was deceived. That's a good concern. And we need to recognize that concern. And here's the deal. If Paul was concerned about it then, how much more, in all honesty, how much more should we be concerned about it today because Satan has had that many thousand more years to practice? He's had that many more people to practice on deception. If Paul was concerned about it, then, man, we should be concerned about it. That little, that little bite of the fruit, that little bit of compromise... That's the way the enemy gets in. That's the way he takes ownership of your life. See, when Eve took that little bite of the apple, what that really signified was that she and Adam gave up the ownership of this world and gave it to Satan through one little bite of the apple. And how many times am I doing the same thing with my life because I'm taking a little bite of sin and I'm therefore I'm giving my life to Satan just like they gave the world 
to Satan. I need to apply this to me. Our text says, be alert and of sober mind. Be alert. Stay alert to the simple things. How did Eve, let me ask you the question, how did Eve even know about the fruit of the tree that she wasn't supposed to eat? Remember, God told Adam. He didn't tell Eve. He told Adam. How did Eve even know that there was a tree in the middle of the garden that she wasn't supposed to eat of? Well, we really don't know how that happened. We don't know what was happening. But I think when we look at the order of events, I think we have to look at it that God gave man some responsibility. He gave man some responsibility. And how well, and how well did he do it? Well, let's ask. Let's look. God told Adam about the trees and the rules before Eve was even formed. So why do you think, do you think that it was by chance that Satan targeted Eve rather than Adam? Why don't you think, why, why didn't Satan go to Adam and say, Adam, take the bite? Well, because he probably knew that Adam probably was a little more adamant because Adam had the direct revelation from God and Eve didn't. So something happened here. Some level of miscommunication happened. Either, either Adam didn't do a good job communicating to Eve, either he didn't teach her wisely and well, or Eve didn't listen or pay attention. Something happened because Eve was the one that fell first. Adam failed in some areas. And here's the thing. I don't want you to think Adam's a dummy because if you read, go back to the text and read it, after, after you told Adam not to eat from the tree, then he said, Adam, name all the animals. So now Adam named every animal that God created. Adam must have been a genius. Think about his mind, that he could name the animals and remember the animals. So Adam's not a dummy. So I don't want you to think that he's a fool. No, he's a very wise man. He was a very smart man. He was very intelligent. But yet, there was a disconnect somehow, somewhere between Adam and Eve and how the message was given that Eve don't eat the fruit. Satan took advantage of that point of confusion and he stepped in and he enticed Eve. Now, how, what does this mean to us? What does this mean to us? Because we always have to draw it back, because that's just a nice history lesson. But what does it mean? It means that God gave a bold command. We read it in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, you're free, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge and truth, or you'll certainly die. Very clear command. God has the authority to command some things in us. Recognize that. Recognize God has that authority. If we would recognize the commands from God as to our good, we, wouldn't, we would avoid so many negative things in our life. We would avoid so many painful things in our life. We would avoid so much grief in our life if we would just listen to sound instruction. If we would just not have to make our own mistakes. If we could just learn from the mistakes of other people. Adam somehow did not get that message and that intensity to Eve. Otherwise, Eve probably would have said no. The question for us is, are we repeating the same mistakes? See, if God came to me, or if God came to you and gave you a direct word, if God spoke out of the heavens to you, you probably would be very intent on listening to God's voice. And you probably would honor it and probably never waver. But what happens when God speaks through his word? 
Or what happens when God speaks to the preacher or a Sunday school teacher or your spouse or somebody else? Are you as willing to take that as factual as we are with God's word? The question is, are we teachable? That's really the question. Am I a teachable person? Am I willing to be taught God's word? Or do I have to figure it out my own way? If I'm going to figure it out my own way, then I'm leaving myself susceptible to be deceived by a little tiny thing in my life. Dangerous place to be. That's the dangerous subtleness of sin. It's because it's not the big things that will sink the ship. It's the little things. The commentary talks, uh, talking about obedience says this about the fact that um, all Satan had to do was raise the question. The commentary says, God expects obedience to him and acceptance of his word as absolute truth. Two things we can learn. Number one, Satan knew this and tried to destroy Eve's faith in God and his word by raising doubts about his motives and his instructions. Satan suggested that God really didn't mean what he said. Number two, one of the primary sins of people today is unbelief of God's word. It is doubting that he really is serious about salvation, righteousness, sin, judgment, and death. That's the big one for this world today. Oh, I don't really believe in God's word. I don't believe God's going to judge me. I don't believe God's really going to send me to hell. Read the word. Jackie, would you come, please? So what, are we, what do we learn from this? What are some things that we can learn from this example of how sin comes in little doses? Sin doesn't come typically as the big sin that's going to sink the ship, but normally comes small little pieces, small little tidbits, small little temptations that all of a sudden I get sucked into it and I'm in the conversation and now I've got to figure my way out. Isn't it just easier to say no thank you to many things in life. What do we learn? Number one, Satan hates you. He is out to destroy you. He's out to destroy me. His, his cunning and his deceitful ways come as little things in the beginning, but they grow and they seem little to no negative consequence at the beginning. They just seem like, oh, it's just a choice. Just a choice. We also see that the little things are the things that bring the most destruction. The little bite is the thing that won. It wasn't, see, she didn't kill an animal. She didn't go out and do anything really, really bad. She just took a bite of something she did every day. She just continued to do what she did every day, but in the wrong context. Because we don't fear God sometimes, and we don't feel that the little things that come our way can do much damage, we play with them. And then after we've committed the sin, it's too late, the trap has been set, and the enemy is always there to make you know how much you screwed up. Then comes condemnation. Then comes a lot of guilt. Then comes a lot of shame. Why do we even play the game? That's the encouragement today. Repent. Ask God to forgive us for our sins. We need to own it. We need to own it and we need to repent of it. We not, stop playing games of justification. The word says, be alert and sober-minded. Be alert and sober-minded because the devil comes in subtle ways. Let's pray.
Father, we just come in Jesus' name. And Lord, we're reminded so much of how the enemy works in our life, how he tries to destroy, how he tries to take away. So God, we just need your help. We struggle sometimes in our own pride. We struggle sometimes in our own ability to try to manage and control. But Lord, when we do that, we're just playing with something that's going to potentially kill us. Potentially, it's going to destroy us. So Lord, help us to be quick to say yes to the things that you've commanded us to do. And quick to say no to those shady things, those things in the gray area. Why even mess with it? Let's just be, a, let's just be safe. Help us. Help us in this area, I pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing the song that the team is playing. And, uh, and then I just pray that this word would sink into our hearts today. Encourage us throughout the day to watch out for those little things that would come along, that would, that would seek to destroy even in the things that seem good. Amen. Would you stand with me and let's just sing the song. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of a
Father, thank you for that promise. Thank you for calling us children. We walk in your love today. We thank you for all that you have in store. In Jesus' name, amen.